Welcome to Hunter and Craft Radio. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Hunter and Craft Radio. On this episode, I'm joined by Andre Cheru, VP of New Markets and International at Hired.com. Andre is a startup veteran who's worked in the New York, Toronto, and Silicon Valley tech ecosystems extensively over the last five or ten years. He's the 25th ever employee at Uber, and in this episode, he shares his best lessons on business development and pattern recognition in startups, the importance of talent in high-growth companies, keys to launching new markets for your app or marketplace, and share some really interesting insights on early-stage startup investing and things to look for when evaluating companies. You're definitely going to learn something in this episode. Without any further ado, here's Andre. Andre, how are you doing today, my friend? Very well. <clears throat> awesome. Thanks uh, so much for making some time out of your schedule to chat with us today. This is going to be uh, a great, great discussion, a lot of core points for us to go through. Um, as we've talked about, the main theme of this podcast is to dig into the best lessons that you've learned so far in your career. And uh, obviously, you've been in the startup game for a while now, worked for a lot of uh, you know big name companies, also some smaller companies that you started. So uh, a lot of really interesting stuff for us to dig into. The core themes we're going to touch on, one of the interesting ones, pattern recognition in startups. Interested to dig into your take on that. The ones and twos in startups and the importance of talent. Uh, launching new markets, that's obviously a specialty of yours, so interested to dive into your framework for bringing a product to a new market. And then we're also going to touch on some early stage startup investing. So this is going to be wicked. I'm really excited. Uh, but for, Me too, man. <laughs> for the listeners who haven't ha- had a chance to meet you or kind of learn about um, who you are as a person, we'd love if you could just you know, give a little bit of background on yourself how you got into startups and kind of what brought you to where you are today. Yeah, awesome. Uh, it is great to, uh, to chat with you, Evan. Uh, so thanks for having me. Um, so, I mean, background, I grew up in Toronto. I'm Canadian. I grew up um, in uh, Markham. Uh, I went to uh, Toronto Montessori School. I went to Crescent School, high school. I went to University of Toronto. So uh, Canadian through and through. Um, Although after uh, studying in Canada, I really uh, had a, my eyes set on going to the U.S. Um, and I was predominantly focused on finance throughout um, throughout university. Uh, it was probably the allure of making a hundred thousand uh, dollars when you're 22, 23. So um, those jobs were few and far between in Toronto. So uh, there's just a bigger bigger pond. Um, to fish in uh, in the U.S., so I went into investment banking. I did M and A at uh, Wachovia Securities in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, hmm. and then uh, during my time at Wachovia, <clears throat> I uh, had a unique opportunity to sell a company in the U.K. and uh, started or got invited to start a debt capital markets group in the U.K. So I got some international experience. Uh, spending about a year uh, or so in London. And then after uh, sort of your standard two-year analyst program, um, I'd say actually I 
I had every desire to be like an MD in investment banking and make a mill a year until <laughs> uh, one of our clients, uh, famous actually now for starting uh, Next36, his name is Reza Satchu. Cool. I'd say he actually influenced me at the undergraduate level. He had sold a company, uh, Suppliermarket.com, um, right at the height of the dot-com boom. It made somewhere around, I don't know, 200, 300, 400 million bucks. Wow. Came back and taught economics of entrepreneurship. I was that. I was a one of the first 30 students to take his class. Um, and one thing he always mentioned was to sort of put yourself in uncomfortable situations. You don't necessarily have to start a company, but um, don't, don't do investment banking for so long. Get sort of kind of get into something where you're like creating value um, uh, in the world. And that was very evident when I sold uh, this company and I was teaching, or as a 22, 23-year-old, teaching the COO, CFO, CEO how to pitch and sell their company <laughs> when we were going to make somewhere around, I don't know, 1% to 2% of the, of the, of the deal value. Um, and they were going to walk away with you know, m- money that was really going to change their lives. And granted, they spent 20, 30 years building that business, but it was sort of an eye-opening moment for me where I was like, I really want to be on the other side. And uh, at that point, I decided sort of not to go in the path that many of my colleagues did to business school and uh, hedge funds, private equity, and so forth. At that time, my flatmate and I in London at the time decided to try our hands at starting a company. And so what's interesting is the, the, the Viewpointer was the first company I started. That actually ended up being the, the third pivot, so the third name of the company um, at, at the time. But uh, we, we, we saw a gap around knowledge sharing, particularly for students. Um, and this was because uh, having been very involved at U of T, um, I found a lot of people asking, like, how do you get into banking and how did you get into the U.S. and so forth. And um, uh, beyond Google Answers and Yahoo Answers at the time, I thought there was something there. Long story short, we failed, we raised some money, but that was what ultimately introduced me to Silicon Valley um, after two to three and a half years of, uh, of toiling away. Um, uh, and then, funny enough, Cora uh, was built um, <laughs> there, thereafter. But... Um, but yeah, that, that's what got me into, into startups. And from there, it was a slew of them. So Color, which raised famously um, um, $41 million from Sequoia, who put more money into Color than they did in Google. Um, wow. Before, though, that the big eye-opening part of this was before anyone ever touched the product and, or even knew what we were doing. Um, so it was, it was a fascinating experience. And, if, and at, in, in, in that year, 2009, I want to say... Um, it was the talk of the town. It was like, how the heck did you raise forty? Today, forty one million bucks doesn't sound like anything pale to the comparison of you know Uber's type of uh, funding. But um, but yeah, like that that taught me at least a few things. One, like I saw kind of how they were able to, how the CEO was able to attract that kind of capital. You need a massive vision. You need to be able to attract incredible talent. Um, and you need to have some some form of a track record. In the past, he had started Phone.com um, uh, and and sold that for for a ton. At also the height of the boom, uh, internet internet boom. Um, but uh, so yeah, Color was a bit of a mess. But then through <laughs> Color, uh, the president of Color actually introduced me to to Uber when they were about somewhere around fifteen to twenty employees, and they were creating a um, a launch role. So this is when they were. 
just in about three three cities actually. Um, and uh, so I joined as the 25th employee of Uber and, and saw that go to approximately 150 uh, employees before I shamefully I hang my head in shame <laughs> uh, that, that I left. But, but lessons learned there. Um, and then um, Cinemagram is actually a Canadian startup, two founders out of, out of Montreal, actually, backed by Real Ventures um, at the time. Uh, built built something that, as you remember, when Instagram got bought for a billion dollars by Facebook, there was um, the whole like talk about like what what's going to be the Instagram for video, um, <laughs> and uh, we were right smack center in that conversation. And in, and Cinemagram actually had more downloads in a shorter period of time uh, than um, th- than Instagram. So it was it was really fascinating to uh, to see and. Um, uh, yeah, no, I took the took the leap. The the, the founder is uh, uh, quite quite visionary, and I thought there were some signals there. Although now I've learned other interesting signals to look at, both from a perhaps from an advisor and investor standpoint, but also if you're looking to sort of join a join a startup. Uh, and then and then that was that was a ride, which I'm happy to talk about. And then I actually came back to uh, to Toronto, so I helped Cinemagram go to the Valley. We raised eight and a half million bucks. Um, it was a, it, uh, unfortunately we lost to competitors like Vine, and it obviously looks like Snapchat is the winner of video or will be. Uh, but I came back to Toronto to be um, an entrepreneur in residence. Basically, that means I was trying to figure out what the heck to do with my life and what to do next. <laughs> and thankfully, to the the good folks at Mentella, both Robin and Duncan were were, were kind enough to uh, to give me a seat to to um, to help me figure that out and. Uh, in that time, you know, the startup I started 10 years ago, uh, one of the iterations was an on-campus recruiting tool before we ultimately pivoted into Viewpointer. Uh, we were trying to build on-campus sort of recruiting solutions. And so I spent a lot of time thinking about um, recruiting and selling it to HR and recruiters and so forth. And so I sort of – I actually, Mantella actually got pitched that summer. This is 2013. Uh, a bunch of recruiting products. In fact, one of them that LinkedIn bought, I think it's called Careerify, um, from from Toronto. And uh, uh, I just felt like it's there's still a lot of no offense to the Careerify folks, but there's still a lot of shitty uh, recruiting products out there. And, <laughs> and I felt like there should be probably a better, you know, um, product to service. My my thesis essentially was: could there be a lighter weight way to match? Uh, candidates and employers, and, and that thesis is ultimately what led me to learning about uh, Developer Auction, which was the prior name to Hired, and, um, and Hired is actually founded by a Canadian, um, his name is Matt Miskovich, uh, who started 99designs, but, but, but he's based in Vancouver, and uh, one thing led to another through a bunch of intros, and, and yeah, three years later, or nearly three years later, I'm, I'm, here I am at, at Hired. So that's, a, I guess, a did I do that in like five minutes? That's a quick rundown. <laughs> That's awesome, man. It's uh, it's interesting. I mean, it seems like I didn't really realize, but the majority, like you've got so much expertise in, you know, the the apps and marketplaces side of things, which is something that, you know, it, to me, I've only been in startups for, you know, four or five years, but I've been mostly on kind of the, the B2B SaaS side of things. Um, yep. And that, you know, the apps and marketplaces world is something that, um, it just seems so foreign to me, right? And that's why I'm, I'm super fascinated to dive into a lot of this stuff sure. just because, um, you know, thinking about, and I, I'm sure so many people, our listeners, anyone who's thinking about getting into startups, I mean, the, the whole app craze and, and marketplaces in general, it's, 
Um, people have a lot of ideas for them, but actually executing on them is so incredibly difficult on the growth side of things. So um, that's cool. Okay, so let's dive into just if we go kind of sequentially, um, sure. I'm sure everyone is super interested to hear the early days of Uber. And I'm sure you get these questions all the time. And I wouldn't say also the shamefully piece don't that's the last thing we want to position that as because I'm sure you're going to make well, <laughs> well more than those shares were worth at hired. And, uh, you know, that's really the whole the whole point of these journeys, right, is to uh, to you know make mistakes and learn, and I'm sure it's um, that's gonna um, that's gonna treat you well in the long run. So let's yep. dig into uh, let's dig into Uber. So walk me through you know your early days there. What was kind of your role? What was the company like at the time? Um, and what were you know some of the early challenges that you faced? Yeah, sure. So um, uh, yeah, the company was about twenty to twenty five people. Predominantly in San Francisco, uh, a couple people in, in uh, Boston at the time, and uh, and then a couple people in New York. And um, uh, it's funny, like my so this role as a launcher is basically this person that kind of gets the market from zero to one, just kind of gets it off the ground. And that's from a you know classic marketplace: got to get supply, drive demand, hire a team. Um, and then build and then build it to some to some level of scale and uh, so it's funny they, they they said like you probably won't be going to your apartment much and my apartment was in Palo Alto at the time so I, I rented out my apartment for uh, nine to twelve months and uh, essentially lived on the road permanently with, with uber so I started in New York and this is at the time where they had to relaunch uh, New York and uh, it was a very challenging market to get off the ground and I mean, at the time, this is all Uber Black, by the way. So, in some huh. cities, at least in the U.S., you need like an actual limo limousine license, like base, for people to for drivers to work with you. Um, so it was learn it was learning all about just like the limousine business from scratch. Um, what was also very interesting about the people we hired through from twenty five through to one fifty uh, that I was there is Travis had a view that you know not to hire anyone from like the industry, uh, which is maybe perhaps contrary to a lot of people when they look for someone to hire, or it's like, hey, who knows about this space? But oftentimes innovation comes from people who literally have no idea and they're completely rethinking the problem. Um, it's funny because in Toronto, when uh, so I launched Uber in take a, taking a step back in, in, in partly in New York is where I trained, but principally responsible for DC. Um, and then I was sort of tasked with launching Uber in Canada, which was awesome for me because it's like, hey, I get to go home and sort of, and today that that's uh, I'm very proud of that. Um, and so I launched in Toronto, not proud of what's happening in Vancouver and unfortunately them uh, shutting us down. But although Uber will win at some point there, <laughs> um, but uh, I actually remember interviewing some folks in the taxi industry who had deep deep knowledge of, of Canadian's taxi industry who really wanted to be the GM. Of, uh, of of Uber in Toronto or in, eventually in Canada. And funny enough, I think Halo ended up hiring this person. But uh, we just had a view, not that that person wasn't great or, 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 or at all. It was just we had a view not to not to hire folks uh, who had uh, any, any form of bias. Um, and so, I don't know, some of the challenges were uh, getting the market from zero to one and, and you know, I, there's really one word that sums this up, in my opinion, which is, and it sounds pretty trivial, but it, it's literally you just need hustle. And 
we would test for this in interviews, actually. And poor guy, my, my buddy now, uh, Jeff, Jeff Weschler, not to call you out, Jeff, but uh, <laughs> he's doing really, really well at Uber and now has moved on to move to San Francisco. Um, he, he will he will recall that uh, we 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 asked him we we walked him to a to a hotel I think it was gosh the one on Wellington uh, I forget the name of it now um, and asked him to go and uh, uh, find out as much about that hotel's limousine provider like this is an interview process <laughs> and, <laughs> and we would be waiting by the bar to uh, to to like this is me and Ryan Graves who's now the second in command at. at at Uber, um, to, to, to see what he could, what he could get out. Um, and, uh, he came back, he had some information. He didn't have it. He didn't have all the information. So we were like, so you don't have all of it. So go back. And he's like, really? <laughs> like, yeah, you should like keep going. Um, and we just needed to figure out a way. Now, of course they've figured out other ways to test hustle. Um, and the engine at, at Uber is working. So, when an engine is kind of like working, it's a different game. The first set of employees you hire versus the second set of employees as your company is scaling. So a lot of people might not look necessarily like, I would say, the first 50 employees at Uber. If you look at those people, they don't really look like the the, the latter, uh, the la- the latter half. Uh, the latter half, I would say, is a little bit more homogeneous to be to be real. Yeah. Um, because because you you. You become specialized, right? Roles become more specialized. They move from generalist to specialist, and and you get a sense of like what's what's needed to be successful in this role. When you start out in the company, you have no idea what's needed to be successful in a role. Yep. And so you're 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 testing, you're constantly testing. Um, and uh, but yeah, hustle, hustling to get supply off the ground was was really hard. This was like you know. Uh, Looking up limousine uh, drivers' names in the phone book, uh, uh, you could find these documents if you dig really deep, uh, as they have to publicly uh, uh, list their list their company names. Uh, cold calling them, trying to get a couple of meetings, and then pitching them on a service that they've never heard <laughs> about, um, where they're going to make less money on a per ride basis. Uh, like they're, they're usually. Like a startup is all about basically like pushing down boundaries, like these 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 incredible walls that are constantly there that you need to continuously push yourself against. And uh, uh, th- th- this is one of them where you're convincing someone you think your service is awesome, but it really doesn't make much sense to them. Especially you have no demand to show them that they're even going to make any money. Um, and so it, it it you know I. I there is a there's a there's a saying that Travis says, which is "fear is the disease and hustle is the antidote," and I think um, yeah, we all live by that. It was we literally had to convince, and it was sales at its best, like convince people when there's nothing there to see something, um, and that, that that was that was really hard. Um, question so, question yeah. for you on uh, on that. So that's the hit home for me with kind of the stage we're at with Post Beyond and and. Struggling to figure out, you know, back to the specialized roles piece, how much are you, you know, looking for hiring people with entrepreneurial qualities who will just figure shit out? I talk a lot about in early stage startups, people who can embrace ambiguity and just, you know, basically whatever you throw at them, you know, you know, you're going to have in a startup, especially in the very early stages, you know, sub 50 employees, you're only going to have 
20% of the answers or 20% of the process that you're going to want and you're going to need to come up with that other 80%. So are you of kind of a firm belief that you need to hire entrepreneurs at an early stage or what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I just found a quote that I was trying to, uh, trying to remember by Keith Raboy, uh, who's a partner uh, in, in the Valley. He, he mentioned that the act of inverting inertia at a startup requires essentially an immense amount of heroic effort. And so every your first sort of 50 employees or so, you need to figure out a way in which or figured a way to assess whether they will uh, be able to exert some form of heroic effort. And, and typically speaking, uh, entrepreneurial types do that. So you could look at the top 50 employees at Uber uh, that, that we all hired, um, and uh, you probably see a thread of a uh, they, they tried something entrepreneurial and failed. There's high level of IQ and just kind of really smart, be it from a consulting, banking, or some, you know, some sort of analytics background, uh, just, just because the, the problems were more analytical on the logistics side at Uber. Yep. Um, you'll also see like a chip on their shoulder. So yeah, you could be entrepreneurial, um, and I love the ones like, like who failed uh, because uh, that either generates a chip. You have to understand, like figure out if, if the chip is, is, is aligned with the values you have <laughs> at, the, at your company. But um, yeah, just kind of trying to identify what their motivation is, um, and, and this kind of gets into, in my opinion, the the I, I've sort of put these this framework around talent in two buckets, and um, in my opinion, there are ones and and there are twos, and and we can talk about this a little bit later. More no, let's dig into it. Let's dig in. Why not? Sure. So 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 ones, in my opinion, are um, visionaries. They're uh, they're people when you look them in the eye, they like they truly see another um, like another world, uh, and, and and there's they're very hard to to find, obviously, uh, and we can name the best ones, the you know, the ones in the world like like Zuck and um, uh, Jeff Bezos and I think Travis is one, etc. Uh, but they are they're truly visionary. Um, they truly see the world in another light. Um, and they're they're able to get something from zero to one. Twos are more sort of operators and executors. They have a uh, you know the best of the best have an insanely uh, uh, ability to execute and, and sort of operationalize a problem and, and you know organize a bunch of people around this problem to ultimately ship something to get something some service or product in front of the world. And uh, I think there are people with combinations of ones and you know a combination of, of one traits and two traits. Uh, generally speaking, uh, the value of a company, in my opinion, is basically based on the ability to attract uh, as many ones and twos as you possibly can. Now, the funny thing with talent is they're attracted to other talent. So my belief is that ones can really only attract other ones. Um, they, they will only work with other ones. The best example of this is the PayPal example. Yep. Uh, and then there's, and then twos can attract other twos. Um, now, a one would never work for a two, in my opinion. They just would never join a two's company. And so, by definition, if a two is starting a company, there's almost like a ceiling to how large it could, be, could eventually become, uh, which, in my opinion, begs the question, like, why would a two start a company if they have the option of joining a one to create something much bigger in the world? Now, everyone's got different motivations, and I'm not saying it's bad to build a you know, $20, 30 $50 million company, 
might not make a massive dent in the world, but um, you could do a lot of good with that 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 money and, and that outcome. Um, but uh, but yeah, my 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 test or my bar is to try to figure out um, you know what what camp they're in. Now, technically, when 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 you've already joined a one company, the, the likelihood that a one is applying or that it will ever take your call to join it to join your company as the thirtieth employee or twenty fifth is low. Like it's not going to happen. So you're really just evaluating twos at that time that might have some traits of one like i started a company and i failed i really have this vision now if they're visionary and they can expand upon your vision is very exciting um and i think a lot of the people that travis has hired at, at uber has expanded upon his vision and then they're able to execute and operationalize their their visions as well um and so yeah that that's in short kind of uh you know how i try to evaluate one people who I'll sort of spend my time with too. When you're when you're when you're when you're looking to uh, hire for your for your company, especially in the early days. But then, then even three is just like I've taken some advisory roles, and if you're looking to invest, like um, de- deciphering talent is probably one of the biggest lessons I think I've learned. Being in startups, joining startups, starting a company, and then even advising, and you know perhaps one day investing. For sure. Yeah, that's something that I've actually been thinking about a lot just with my, um, you know, my experience starting EPROF was, you know, the best learning experience of my life, but it was also easily the most stressful and painstaking time of of my life just in terms of like, you know, the grueling nature, as you know, of being a founder and the pressure and just all the crap that you have to deal with that I like, I don't know if you're like me, but the last thing I want is you know, the, the stress of the payroll and the back, you know, the dealing with the government and all that stuff. That stuff just, you know, freaks me out. And, and I, you know, whereas the stuff with Post Beyond, um, you know, it's obviously I still have a founder mount, mindset. I was just thinking about that as, as uh, you know, as I was pressing, uh, putting together some questions for you because, you know, I, and I, I'm so emotionally invested still. So it's like I'm still feeling a lot of stress for, you know, the post beyond stuff and we're just getting into it. And I, I mean, I, I kind of like that stress as well. But, I, you know, I'm sort of thinking for my career, I'm pretty content to kind of be that early too. Uh, I mean, maybe I'll be I don't know. I don't know. Like. I don't know if I have the capacity to be a one. I just don't have enough experience in my career. And I, you know, I'm thinking about, I'm trying not to stress about like, oh, you know, am I going to have that one idea or whatever? Because the reality is like being a two at an early stage startup, if you're incredibly good at it, you get a lot of the upside with a lot less of like the, the hell and the, and the stress. I mean, exactly. I think you just have to, you just have to figure out what, uh, what, what floats your boat and what your motivations are. And I honestly think when you look, look in the eyes of ones, a lot of that stuff is just part of the process. They, they don't like it either. No one generally likes that stuff, but, yeah. um, their vision is just so ingrained in their mind that there is no other way. Yeah. Uh, uh or there's no one, no one else that's really going to do this. And the, the, the amount like when you hear when I all the companies I've joined truly had really big visions, and and that's one of the things that I look for to to join we're, to the point where they almost seem like kind of ridiculous, and <laughs> um and they take such a long view where I think a lot of twos look for returns really quickly. Yep. I think by definition most VCs are twos, 
Uh, although the what there's ones that have taken a break and 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 and, and become VCs for a time. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you're you're kind of like counting like there's a clock in your head typically as a two. Um, uh, yeah, because you're motivated about results. Yeah, um, and not, not, not ones are as well, but it's it's on a different timeline I've found, and uh, sometimes that could be really dangerous in a good way. Meaning, like they're just they have the right set of motivations. Um, uh, yeah, versus versus twos at times. So, and you've yeah. seen a lot of you've seen a lot of twos starting companies recently. I mean, just it, it, because. Uh, there's so, you know there's easier access to capital and that's kind of exactly. screwing exactly. over a lot of VCs. I, I think there's a ton of two starting companies today. Uh, yeah, it costs less to get a company off the ground. Uh, I think now from a VC perspective, like the environment's kind of changing a little bit. But uh, I think the biggest lesson, one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is is it's simple. It's like really know your strengths that I mean it's 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 it's, it's kind of simple because I, I also think we celebrate it's probably part of our culture we celebrate uh, the concept of these ones right we celebrate sort of becoming the next uh, Zuckerberg or who, whoever you want to idolize yep um, I actually think we should celebrate and that and that has caused this idea of hey I should start a company and it's now like cool to be a founder or something like that and you love the term to be a founder but I actually think we should celebrate the twos somehow, some way, uh, at some point, um, because uh, it's actually a mix of the ones and twos that make a really great company. Like ones can't actually build a company on their own. Like they just they actually can't. They can get it to some stage, but uh, but a two is necessary. It's also really sad to see when twos who are great twos. Again, there's a range in these numbers in my mind where we're all either becoming great twos or becoming a, a great one. Uh, but but uh, it's sad to see sometimes twos that kick out ones, um, hmm. you know. Also on the VC side, like this happens a lot because they're they're typically the ones are the crazy person at the table um, that that aren't necessarily the most professional managers in the world. Um, and uh, yeah, if something goes a little haywire, you know, the twos are easy. Like feel like like I've got this now. Um, you know, I, I you know I'm I can run this ship. Uh, uh, and, and so like, why do we need this founder person? And, and you'll see founders sometimes struggle to scale themselves. Um, it's the best companies and the biggest companies in the world that have a combination of twos and, and ones that re- like the twos know you need the one there in some capacity. I would say the best example is Google where uh, you, you've, you've invented something, you've innovated something. Now you, you, know, you need maybe a two to scale it because there's not much more innovation that's going to happen there. Uh, but it but it could become a real big business in its maturity, and but then, as Eric Schmidt did, leaving the ones Larry and Sergey like to 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 figure out kind of what are the other innovations, and now still you know they're able to retain their their control and so forth, and and but but then you kind of leave Eric to just foresee this this business. Um, sometimes twos and the board and that's like kick out the the ones, and that that's. Yeah, insanely sad to see. I, I was reading a story that the lieutenants, early lieutenants at, at Amazon, wanted to kick out Jeff Bezos. And to me, if you like, it's kind of crazy to see what Amazon's become. Hmm. Uh, and I think it's clearly because they have a good combination of ones and twos working together, uh, because they know they need they need each other to become successful. Yeah. Was was your kind of light bulb moment figuring out this you know ones and twos theory? Did that come from your experience with Cinemagram? 
It, a little bit, right? So obviously, I, uh, you know, wrong motivations to join Cinemagram. Granted, not not all wrong, but uh, you know, Cinemagram did have a big vision. It was, you know, to figure out how to uh, photos online uh, versus digital photos were all basically the same. How could we uh, change that unit, that that uh, unit of value somehow online? Like, why do they have to be the same as the photos in print? Perhaps it could be. And a cinemagram was a cinemagraph, part photo, part video. But I think what people really wanted was a video. And we were clearly seeing the level of video content uh, skyrocket on, online. Um, uh, so big, 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 big vision. Uh, a, a founder who, in my opinion, is a one, uh, but a, well, like a great one in the making. So like not, not fully there yet. Um, but then the... the poor motivation was I wanted to be the guy like I wanted to be the guy I was probably the you know and I uh, um, I have a lot of respect for the Temple founder and so forth but I probably wanted to just like this was my shot at being a great two <laughs> perhaps even like maybe being a one and 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 uh, I didn't realize that later um, that uh, yeah I could have probably like those aren't the right reasons necessarily to move uh, um, you know, roles. I think. I think if you need to move roles, like it's it should be about like learning experience, and you believe in the mission, and and of course the vision, and, and the and the people that you're working with, um, and and that's of course if all those things don't line up in the position you're in today. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I you know I think that was my first moment uh, where I uh, where I sort of to sort of think about or check my own my own self of just like what bucket do I fit in and when I got finally got over and you probably know this when you start a company and you fail yeah. like you have this chip on your shoulder you're like I maybe I don't do it now but I do it later at some point yeah and so like everything you're gearing yourself up is to like do that one day but what if that's not what you should be doing one day yep um that like that took a long time for me to realize yep. uh where like again a two could be amazing and and as I saw the twos at Uber who today are just like running really big businesses uh, within Uber, right? Like the, yep. the GM of New York runs a 300 person plus office. That's a, <laughs> that's a larger company than average. Like, yep. uh, but, but within Uber, that, that's amazing. So he can in his own right, in a way, even be a part one, part two. Um, if you just, you know, so if I think to myself, oh, if I just stayed or was able to stay or whatever, um, uh, uh, and make it and make it kind of through there. Then, then maybe that would have helped uh, uh, help me grow as a as a as a startup professional. Now, thankfully, you know, years later, I'm getting that experience here at Hired and love it. And more, frankly, I'm more aligned with the mission because of the fact that it's in the recruiting space. Something I spend a lot of time on. And I think is super broken, and um, and I do think is actually fundamentally changing people's lives uh, by by getting jobs that people love. Um, and doing it with entrepreneurs who are ones that have done it before, and I think the stars kind of align. So, I'm basically it's a combination of Cinemagram and leaving the Uber and that whole experience, and then two, like watching and reflecting on all the startup experiences and people I've worked with at, the, at again because I've worked with generally all my companies have been sub thirty employees, sub twenty employees. So, getting a sense of like who were all these people I worked with, where did they all end up? And uh, what are the patterns around that? Um, and that's kind of helped me uh, reflect uh, or create this this theory, if you will, of um, 
Yeah, ones and twos. I love it. And the thing that you know really resonated with me there is this whole concept of staying in your lane a little bit, right? Like it sounds like when you were at yeah. Cinemagram, like that really resonated with me because, you know, especially in the early days of Post Beyond, I was coming off of, you know, being a founder and you want to do everything, right? You want right. to, you want to help, you know, build the product and do, you know, roadmap and UX and you want to sell and you want to do this and that. And, and like, that's the difficult thing. Obviously you want to hire entrepreneurs as those early twos to help you execute. But at the same time, those entrepreneurs, you know, they have kind of a one mindset and they want to do a lot of stuff. So it's kind of, you need people. And, and I think that's where the leadership part comes in where it's like, you know, getting people to realize that, yes, I mean, there's a, there's a ton of growth opportunities, but we need to focus, right? And we need, you know, everyone needs to really zone in on, you know, what's the most important thing that they can be doing. And, and it's the trust factor too, right? Like you, if you're trying to do everything, you're going to do nothing well, right? So this is um, very true. And it's something, yes, you nailed, you hit the nail on the regarding like how, uh, how one should think about, it, especially if you came from a, a founder position to what you should do next. Uh, a lot of soul searching for me and, and figuring that out, and uh, you, you nailed it. Where you do need to figure out what you're really, really good at. Where do you get spikes? Um, you know, when you execute or when you, um, when you, when you, uh, yeah, when you work and you and you sort of ship whatever your work product is. What are the sh- what are the spikes that you? Where, where do you where do you where do you see those spikes when you when you uh, um, yeah when you apply your skills. Yep. And uh, for me, that was that was hard to figure out, right? I started in product marketing at Color, and then this launch thing was also this, you know, I did the launch thing partly because it was the closest thing, again, that I could get to starting a company uh, because, they, you know, <laughs> the, the role was just ambiguous. It was like, go do everything. I was like, wow, this is the, this is the best thing ever. <laughs> uh, uh, but then, you know, after that, uh, I'd say launcher, launchers have this very unique role who, who worked at Uber and who either left they also feel um a little sort of this place because they're, they're not sure what role do they actually really fit in uh and then i did business development at, at cinemagram but business development can be thought of in many different facets from product to partnerships to even sales yep uh depending on the size of the company uh to then um yeah to then this this sort of new-ish role of like new markets um uh today at today at hired so it's it's it is important to figure out where you're really really good at and know that and and generally when you're really really good at something you're also bad at other stuff and it's totally <laughs> okay to be bad at other stuff i think companies should hire for people's strengths uh not for these like middle of the road people who are good 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 with everything as much as you hire generalists in the beginning in the beginning days those generalists should have spikes around certain areas that you need that you need help with that be it, be it product, be it eng, be it marketing, be it sales, whatever, whatever it is, they they should show spikes there, and it should, and you should be okay with sort of like compensating, or comp, finding someone else to complement those 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 individuals' weaknesses. For sure. So let's dig into some of the hired stuff. So obviously, you know, hired is one of the you know one of the faster growing companies in tech. You guys have a lot of really exciting stuff going on. So um, I know for the listeners, one of the things that they're going to be most excited about, you know, it's a lot of people who are entrepreneurial minded. The okay. whole kind of launching launching a product to a new market thing. That's what um, we definitely want to dig into and, and get a sense of your framework for that uh, yep. that you've kind of developed at hired. But just you know 
so people can get a sense of um, you know when you joined Hired, you know where was it at, and how has the company evolved since then in terms of markets and countries and all that type of stuff. Sure. So, um, uh, yeah, I joined at somewhere around the fifteenth employee when we were um, in uh, in in one market in San Francisco. We had just rebranded from. Perhaps some people say a terrible name, but it did its job in the early days called uh, Developer Auction. Uh, today, we're approximately 250 employees uh, across 17 markets now uh, and, uh, and six countries. Um, so a lot, yeah, you essentially sort of 3x every single year uh, up to this point. Um, yeah, regarding how to get uh, these markets off the ground. So, I mean, I definitely learned a, a ton uh, from, from Uber, right? So I... I I definitely thank uh, the, the folks I learned. I, I learned about sort of classic marketplace businesses there, especially the ones that have some in, uh, that involve some sort of physical uh, supply and demand that you need to get off the ground in that in that in like a particular location. Uh, for us, it's it's companies uh, on the demand side and and on the supply side, it's it's candidates that want full time jobs that need to be like physically going to an interview in person at, at a company, um, but. Uh, you know, classic marketplaces. You have to figure out what side to uh, to get first. Um, and so, uh, for us at Hired, it's interesting. The company started initially, and just to give, I guess, a step back, what Hired is is essentially a reverse uh, job board where companies apply to candidates versus the other way around. And we list them, these candidates, for a period of time, usually uh, one week, depending on the market. Um, and companies then have that period of time to to present them with interview um, uh, uh, interview uh, um, uh, requests, if you will, and uh, and then that basically facilitates on the candidate side the fastest way to discover a new job. Um, and then if you should like one, then you interview with a bunch. It's, it ends up being the fastest time to get a job, on average about fifteen to twenty days. And then on the company side, it essentially becomes an on-demand pipeline. Of talent that you can hire that that um, that basically has been vetted for both quality and intent. Unlike a job board, you get intent but no quality signals. Hmm. And unlike LinkedIn, where you get quality signals but you have no intent uh, filter. And so we're trying to solve for both. And basically, for our company standpoint, you could log in on a Monday when you get this email that X number of candidates in your market or willing to move to your market are live. You, uh, it, it's it's a, a pool that literally is is meant to be uh, meets your quality bar and like literally won't waste their time. Uh, sh- should be responsive within twenty to twenty four to forty eight hours, and like be you know you have a shot at, at interviewing and and then we give you insights on what the market is saying about that candidate at that moment in time. Like if they're talking to Facebook or if they're talking to some other company in another city, and so you can put your best foot forward. Um, um, regarding trying to get that talent, so that's that's what hired us. So in the early days, we had to actually get the talent to convince companies to uh, apply to them. So we actually focused on eighty engineers that the founders hustled to get from Facebook, uh, Google, and Twitter, and convinced them that companies would apply to these guys. So they create profiles. Cool. Uh, that was really hard to get. Uh, by the way, it took two months to get those eighty-eight folks, and then. Uh, and then they begged all their VC friends to uh, ask their portfolio companies to see if they would be interested in applying to these guys. And uh, they did. Um, 
again, took a lot of hustle to get those companies to do so. But when they did, they did it in droves. And, and uh, uh, we, in a two-week period, there was $30 million in aggregate um, job offers that were submitted to these, to these candidates. At that moment, we got some TechCrunch article and 5,000 engineers signed up the next day. So it, we realized that there was, there was something, uh, something there. So that's what happened before I joined. Now, when I joined, we were like, how do we replicate this in cities, right? Like, um, or what's the best way to do it? You could do it two ways. You could build sort of an account management team out of San Francisco that sort of manages account sizes, different sizes. Or my approach was and my suggestion was we could do this similar to Uber where we could get a critical mass of both candidates and companies looking for those candidates in a particular city, let them go live, and, and then and see what happens. And we tried this in New York, and in three months – we were able to do what uh, San Francisco was did in like nearly a year, um, and so there was sort of a very quick proof point that um, something here works. And the and the the real trick was actually to get the demand side for us. Now every marketplace is different, but we have to convince uh, X like a certain threshold of companies uh, to to buy into this new form of recruiting. Um, and typically, it's somewhere between fifty and hundred in at least the the, mar- the larger the larger markets out there. So fifty to hundred companies that have um, some interest in hiring at least this skill set. So so marketplaces need to start super niche, right? That's aka Amazon on books, Uber on black car. Um, uh, uh, even, you know, even Airbnb hasn't even ventured out yet out of their out of their core focus. But yeah, we started and, and still doing. Uh, just software engineers, and so when you can do that, you you force a critical mass of, of of both sides to find each other to match. And when you do that, then you you, you create like a wow experience for both parties. Um, the beauty of this product uh, was around the immediacy factor. I think a lot of people uh, uh, don't really think about some of the the products out there that have gained traction. Immediacy and frequency are very like two, two pieces of of of, of aspects of these pro- of these successful products that I that I obsess about and look at. And it was one of the things that drove me to hired was um, the fact that someone could get a job in two weeks. Like it, this is historically a business that like on average takes months to get a job. Um, how, like, how were they able to do that? Um, even looking at Tinder, like it, it's it's dating on steroids. Like they created an immediacy factor that wasn't truly there uh, be, before, and and Uber did the same thing by getting you a car in under five minutes. Um, the challenge you hired, though, it's arguably much more difficult because the size of a transaction is like a thousand times greater than than Uber, right? It's hmm. it's it's we the way hired gets paid by the companies candidates don't get charged uh, we charge a percentage of the candidates base salary um, so think about average engineering salaries you know this it's, it's a 15 to 20 grand fee so that becomes like an enterprise sale but now try convincing companies to use a product where there's no candidates yet um, where they're gonna have to pay somewhere between 15 and 20k if they find someone it's not an, it's not an easy sell so but but so that part takes a while, um, and yes, you need good salespeople or people who can condition the market to think differently um, to show up at their door. And for us, it's pitching uh, CTOs, VP of engineering, and so forth. Um, and then the, the the other reason why it's arguably more difficult it's it's think about the consideration of a job, right? It's one of two major decisions you're gonna maybe three major decisions you're gonna make in your life. 
uh, versus like going from point A to point B. And so the consideration on the candidate side is uh, is really really high. So a website in and of itself won't won't do it. Um, many, many we found out very quickly they they want to talk to someone. Uh, so we created this a role called a talent advocate. Well, now we got to hire these talent advocates in every like city or someone knowledgeable of their city who could kind of uh, be this sort of career coach to the candidate. Um, so, so the talent advocate, we got to find this sales kind of condition person to go and pitch. Uh, th- th- those two two people plus some manager at the top, which you know, we call a GM, are hard to find. But but that that is the initial. Um, phase to, to get uh, to get a, to get a market at least at, at hired off the ground so how is your team broken down then so you're the VP of new markets and international how does um, how is does your team work exactly so you yeah. you go and find the GM for a new city like I guess maybe walk me through if you're launching in a new city who are yeah. the people that you think about bringing on and when? Yep. So uh, for us, uh, we have expansion managers, uh, essentially that go out and try to basically hit two two milestones. They gotta sort of uh, hit a what we call a soft launch milestone, and then like a public launch. And the soft launch is all around the team. So they have to uh, find uh, these individuals, right? The GM, the the supply side person, the demand side person. Um, we try to, again, because we need the demand side first, we try to prioritize soft launch around getting the demand side and we'll remotely cover the supply side. Um, uh, and then once we get that and we've convinced 50 to 100 companies, we then, uh, we then need to understand what supply we should be surfacing. Now, supply for candidates for us is a little different. Um, than supply at uh, at Uber for us, it's a bit more programmatic and can be done by the large scalable channels like paid advertising and, and massive email referral marketing and so forth to get the right candidates through the door. Especially because we we curate them um, for again this quality and intent uh, signals, uh, and so but but we need to know who to get in a way, right? So. Who are, what are the skill sets that are in most demand um, out of talking to those 50 to 100 companies? And uh, that gives us a signal. And uh, then our marketing team that's centralized uh, works, to get, uh, works to get those right, the right set of candidates. And then on the ground, we're working to sort of just make sure people know about Hired. And that's from you know sponsorships and is doing as much on the ground work. You're, you're in Toronto and we have a great team there. Hopefully our name is slowly being built up there. I got a hired water bottle on my desk, so there you go. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, and then, and at that point, when we soft launch, we just try to get this, uh, the market to a certain threshold of revenue uh, at that point with, uh, with hopefully the full team in place and we're constantly adding uh, companies and making sure that everyone's seeing the right, the right people. So of course there's a funnel in every business and we're trying to make sure we optimize that funnel on both sides of, candidates and clients that meet and for us it's meet around speed and volume so candidates you know we we hope we our promise to them is they see somewhere between depending on the size of the market but five to ten maybe even 15 job opportunities um and so our job is to make that happen and uh and then you know should should they want to take a job like there's a high likelihood that they will when when they see that many uh, that many job opportunities and the high likelihood that they'll do it quickly um, which then 
gives them a wow experience, and then they go tell all their friends, and then they we now have this army of candidates. We we have a thankfully uh, a, a hire that happens every two hours on our platform. It's fascinating to see, especially when in the early days we celebrated like. I used to we used to celebrate when there's like one hire. Oh my god, we got our first hire in uh, Toronto or whatever it is. And 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 now as a company, it it happens every two hours. Um, but uh, but yeah, there's a ton of work on that funnel to 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 ensure that it's that it's optimized correctly. And you have the right companies, and you're making sure they're logging in every week, every month, every quarter. Um, and you're and you're obviously servicing the right the right candidates. Love it. So, question. Uh, I don't know if there's a you know specific answer to this, but um, I'm curious, like where you guys have seen the biggest spikes in growth in either revenue or um, you know people applying. So it's I, I like um, I'm interested in what you were mentioning about like you know you guys are doing paid ads and mass referral marketing and things like that. Like I'm curious if there have been any real like. You know, huge aha moments where you're like, okay, this thing is, you know, moving the needles, causing one of those spikes that you mentioned in a huge way. Is there anything that sticks out to you from from your experience? Huh, that's a good question. Um, not necessarily. I mean, I think every business will have their spikes. Uh, it's funny at, at Uber. We we and which I which I learned this whole soft launch and public launch um, um, milestones from, but uh, we used to see a spike early early days uh, again when no one knew about Uber. But but when we used to throw a dinner like a fifty hundred person influencer dinner again. It was only black car. Drop a bunch of credits and um, and a bunch of influencers in that city's account so they could ride around and tell everyone about it. There was like usually a massive spike that happened. Um, and it's such an unscalable model at the time, but that's what we did. And um, we also got a spike from events. Uh, you know, interesting enough, I think in the early days when you think about your company, um, figuring out the channel that where you can like insert yourself into an automatically executable that's already like it's a it's a process that's already being executed. Yep. Uh, so take an event. They need people that show up. They there's an event planner that's emailing these people to tell them about the event to like, hey, this is when the event's going to be. Show up and then and then here's how it's going to go. Well, it was kind of a clear no brainer to be like, hey, could you tell like we could augment your event by getting them there for free. Um, yeah. Uh, in a pretty cool new service and like if you message them and you know we basically knew depending on the events that we would target and the demographic like how many people would sign up from an event and today that's like literally a, a science at uh yep. it was more of an art at the time but it's more of a science now at, at uber and so we figured out that was a main channel of uh of of, of growth for us for you know for for hired uh for us it's really just finding where these where these like the the categories of talent that we're focused on now now we're moving out of tech into sales and marketing talent and, and everyone's found, you know, on different platforms. Most people, the beauty that we have in our business, most people are online, at least most of these people. Yep. They're on some form of a community, be it Stack, GitHub, LinkedIn. Um, from a dev perspective, there's like niche sites for, for marketers and sales talent as well. Um, they're, they're out there. And yes, we will do the events as well. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, we get a, we get a, bunch of spikes when 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 we use um 
when we use paid advertising. I would say that uh, for us, because I think the, the transaction is such a meaningful transaction that when, uh, when someone gets hired, uh, uh, and funny enough, the co-founders added this wow experience um, in it, we, we give the candidate a signing bonus uh, of about a grand and this big bottle of Dom Perignon. And, and what they do, it's, it's it, again, because it's such an important milestone in their life, they, um, they, they, they tweet about it. They tell all their friends about it. Um, they, uh, uh, yeah, referrals become a massive channel for us, especially for the cohort that get hired. Um, there's two cohorts that, that refer, right? There's one, of course, when you get a job, the second cohort is the ones who, um, uh, who, who learned about, you know, 10 job opportunities in the course of a few days, if not sometimes even hours. And they were like, wow, that was the fastest way to discover. Like, I want to move to London. That was, like, the fastest way to discover what's in London, specifically for me. Yep. Um, uh, you know, that, that, uh, those candidates obviously go and tell all their friends also about it as well. Nice. Yeah, I love that, uh, you know, I mean, it seems simple, but the just the growth lesson there, I guess, is, I mean, just you know, go to where there's the largest concentration of people where you can place, you know, one message or do one piece of sponsorship or do, you know, that thing that you said with Uber, giving people rides to the events. And obviously, you know, you're just, um, meeting people in their natural habitat. Like the, the thing that that reminded me of that, um, you know, there's a company that was competitive to ePROF that basically was everything that we wanted to be. Uh, and it's still around. It's now called teachable, but, the you know the brilliant thing that that guy did was he tried to he effectively poached teachers from Udemy so he built you know some software like a little kind of import tool to make it so easy for um, people to switch port their courses from Udemy into his platform um, and you know he, he just kind of rode the Udemy growth wave and that's where he got his initial base of users so you know it's it sounds simple but um, just kind of you know going to where the people are and making it so that you know um, they can't help but notice you I guess right exactly exactly um, awesome well last uh, I guess thing I want to dig into um, sure. would be your your experience with um, early stage investing at uh, at Mantella and some of the some of the pattern recognition type stuff. I mean, we've talked a little bit about the framework to evaluate talent, but obviously yep. that must have been um, you know that's where we met when you were at Mantella, and um, yep. you you know you've kind of thought a lot about this. Uh, the pattern for recognizing which startups to invest in and which to avoid. So I love if we could just dig into a little bit of you know your um, your experience there and you know how you think about pattern recognition with startup investing. Sure, there's a yeah. The, so I'd say there are just two two pieces. Of this I mean, what, one is really the talent stuff, which we talked about, and really when you're talking about early stage investing, like mainly that's all you're betting on. Uh, there's Ideas can completely change, and I've been at startups where the idea completely changed in the product. So being completely hung up on the product that offering at that moment in time might be um, 
I, you know, I, I don't think that's necessarily that like that important, uh, or it shouldn't be ranked as high as uh, as like who's at the helm of this, who's working on this, what are their motivations? Do you believe that they are um, the right the right people and the stars of the line for them to work on this problem? So yeah, that's the the talent stuff. On the other stuff, like um, you know, like like the product a little bit. Uh, look, I think I think. There's a, there's a couple so there's a few things at the cuff here so innovation at a company usually happens once um, so a company uh, the biggest companies in the world have reinvented themselves multiple times and in, the beauty of what they've done is they've actually um, cannibalized their first <laughs> initial products that's when you like when when and that's why by the way you need ones in a company's life cycle or entire life cycle because the, the two probably will not be the person to reinvent. And like a two will never say, let's cannibalize our sales in the product one. Like a two will never do that. It was like, that's a scary thing to do. And that's what happened from iPhone to iPod, from iMac, uh, uh, like from iPad to Mac. That's from UberX to, or Taxi to Black, from UberX to Taxi to now Pool is their biggest business over X. Like that, that is how you build a really big company. And so, I guess it starts with the fact that, like, what is truly the innovation? It sounds pretty trivial, but um, uh, you know, things that say like, if if this is X for Y, um, I generally like that's a flag, right? And the fact that I was actually starting trying to start a company that was um, uh, Tinder for jobs, by definition, <laughs> like, not interested because it, you're building something on top of it, the innovation. So, how much more innovation can you give to that innovation? Um, we so, used to pitch like, Shopify for education. So that exact same <laughs> shit. Now, now it's helpful to get people to understand it, but if that's how the founder is truly thinking about it, then that's their framework. That's their that's their frame of reference for innovation, which is that's by definition not innovative. Yep. Um, I actually like when companies can't explain what they do. It sounds <laughs> weird, but uh, for the longest time, and funny enough, at Uber, we literally don't didn't know what our one liner was. It like literally took some time to come up with. I hired, uh, and and you know when I was there, it was like you know second year business, third year business. So um, funny enough, you would think a company should know how to explain themselves like one or two years in. Uh, at hired, we're we're literally just finding that still uh, at, at this moment, three years in. Um, and and I like that. So you know you're doing something innovative when it's like hard to explain. In a way, now you're trying all the simplest ways to explain it, but um, yeah, when when a startup can't explain it, that that uh, that is also an interesting signal. Regarding like you you alluded to like marketplace and apps and social, um, I remember when I left uh, uh, Uber for a Cinemagram. Uh, I remember reading a blog post from Chris Dixon. Uh, that's right. It was now at Andreessen Horowitz. Um, Brilliant, but, uh, yeah. he had mentioned something that, that stuck, which was like, if something looks or feels like a toy or if people are referring to it as a toy, especially for consumer stuff, uh, then like, that's, that's something you should dig in and it's a signal. Like you should look into that. That's a nice little signal, at least from an app based perspective and a, and a, and a um, consumer oriented perspective, they don't always get it right. And it's, and it's, but but usually the best uh, consumer products have been born out of toys. And it's funny because when I was asking all my friends, hey, should I move to Cinemagram? And they're like, yeah, I use it. And at the time, like a million people used it. Uh, 
but people were referring to it as a toy. <laughs> and I was like, oh, ding, that's like a check in my book. Um, <laughs> now, obviously, you got to look at a bunch of other things at the same time. But, but I mean, there's that's probably part of the reason it went from a million to nine million users in nine months. Like, that is ridiculous growth. Um, but that's because it was it was sort of dismissed as a as a toy initially. And um, uh, yeah, I kind of looked to see the the toyish nature, especially from a consumer perspective. Of, of if, if 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 someone's pitching that, um, another one that comes to mind is is frequency. I alluded to it to to it earlier. So one of these uh, one of the aspects I look for in marketplace businesses and in apps in general is. Just like, do they have either a mechanism that creates frequency or how, like how frequent are people using the product and is it a natural frequency? What is that frequency? Um, because frequency uh, drives consumer behavior, right? And so uh, I, there's an awesome app that I'm, I'm, I'm an advisor to in Toronto. You've, hopefully you've heard of it. It's called Ritual. Yep. And um, what I love about it is it's focused on frequency. They're digitizing a part of a segment of the food space that is the most frequent. Quick service restaurants, where you get your coffee, where you get your lunch. You do this three times a day from a coffee perspective. Uh, you do this once a day at the very least from a lunch perspective versus uh, this whole delivery game, which at best, at best, could be one a, once a day, at best, um, you know, for the most part. And so... The, the app that you frequent the most, the only reason Uber can 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 now get into Uber Eats is because you frequent Uber transportation. You frequent it a ton per day. How many times do people use that thing per day, per week? Um, that's their that's their only uh, wedge into your life, into other Uberizing, if you will, other areas of your life. That's their only bet. And so, if any app has a, any chance of success. Um, it, it needs to figure out a way to, to, to frequent your life. And that's why, you know, I bet big on ritual um, because, uh, yeah, they're, 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 the frequency levels, of it's inherently frequent. It, the, the service and good it's providing is by definition frequent in your life. <laughs> uh, so they don't have to, they have to create any arbitrary uh, um, mechanisms to make, it, to make it frequent. Like at Hired, we created the weak the weak batch length that was in a in a way arbitrary not uh, in in some ways but in some ways like no one wants to be looking for a job for three months so so it was good that we figured out some cadence that you would be live uh on the website um but like that piece was in my opinion the innovation at hired like these guys created a reversed a reverse mechanism where people were listed for a for a for a, um, a, a, a limited period of time, and, uh, and and like that's how you get the best talent. The best talent, by definition, are are, is, are only on the market for like two weeks tops. Hmm. The best out there, and so if you have any shot at hiring them, um, uh, at, at least at hire on hired, you're going to see them when they're alive. Now you can find them elsewhere. I'm not saying quality talents everywhere, but we're we've trying we're trying to create the easiest way to surface these people to you in the most frequent manner possible. So every single week you could see the people in Toronto that are raising their hands who are the best looking for looking or considering a new job. Um, so yeah, frequency is something uh, 
that I obsess about a little bit. Uh, <laughs> those are a few things off the top of my head. That's awesome. No, that's uh, that reminds me of the um, one of my favorite writers uh, and just like kind of tech geniuses is near Al and all of his stuff on just like you know uh, the psychology of technology and just like addictive behaviors and stuff like that. So that's definitely mm-hmm. something that uh, is so interesting with you know tech that keeps people coming back and the whole kind of variable variable rewards and all that type of stuff. But, um, I, but I, would I, highlight talent just to just like, um, close that topic off. Like, cause in a way, Cinemagram was, uh, people frequented it. And I guess that wasn't a bad bet because at some point, in many ways I look at my experience and say like, I may have been early, but in ways I was right. Color was before Instagram, which color was this instant, social network um, uh, that was created by a, a photo, um, yep. but it was a little too far ahead of its time. Yep. Cinemagram was the video. Uber was obviously right and, and hired. We're making a bet on, on recruiting. Um, but uh, but in all of those, the thread is really the, the, the combination of these ones and twos and like finding that right mix of those two together and a team that has those two, um, That that is probably the best signal. And, and in fact, when I bet on ritual, I mean, it was before any, it was before the app was existed. So it was like betting on the founder uh, at the end of the day. And do you believe fundamentally that you should just like, do you only bet on second time or more entrepreneurs or do you like, do you bet on first time entrepreneurs out of faith or what, what's your take on that? <laughs> it's a good, it's a good, really good question. So this might be controversial, but I actually think, that ones, especially good ones in the making, for anyone to really build a company, it's just, it's a crazy thing to do. So you're gonna need an insane amount of mind share focused on this problem you're solving. And to do that in our day and night, like our life, your life has lots of other competing issues and problems. And a large part of our life is finances. Like we care about money. Money is a thing. Like you ha- like you got to pay bills. You have to live. And um, there's probably a high correlation to the fact that, like, either wealthy individuals or either from themselves or from their family, like, start companies. No, no one talks to the fact that, like, the reason why Zuckerberg could turn down a billion dollars is because he has, like, money, access to money um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a way that, you know, can get him to feel confident to, like, I, I, I will be fine. I will be able to pay my... By bills, and again, everyone has a different level of money they need in their life. But to to the extent you can achieve that first somehow, um, it helps set it sets ones up for a better success. It also helps you uh, choose ones because twos would probably run their like like they'd go to the beach, like they're out, they're done, like they've retired, they've put their money in the matches, that's it. A one doesn't care, like a one doesn't really. They just need enough to live. To then achieve their visions in life, and you—that's a good signal. So, first time entrepreneurs, it's scary because you're unsure of whether um, of whether that. So, one, do they have the cushion to get them there, or two, are they really just out to get the money? And because when they get their money, then they're done. Like, like first acquisition comes out, like I'm, I'm, I'm taking it. Uh, so, I actually look for the fact that if they have some money, that they that they have some peace of mind, and that part of their life I think that's actually a really good good signal or I'm for VCs at least in the US you see this where a 
upon a round, maybe B or, or something like that at that level, they'll take some money off the table. Um, and, and that's I think that's important because, again, if you want your one, if you're backing or whatnot, to shoot for the moon, <laughs> them having some cushion so that they truly can focus and nothing will distract them of that end goal, um, it will literally only help your investment. So having a starving one it does no good for your It's like that, in my opinion, it's a silly, it's a silly investment. Now you you want to see the hustle, but again, you that's that's then that goes just that goes back to just figuring out is this person a one or a two? What are their motivations in life? You know, are they hustling for the right reasons, not for the wrong reasons? That's a wrap on our 25th episode of Hunter and Craft Radio. Thanks so much for tuning in, and thanks to Andre for joining me for this insightful chat. Make sure to keep in touch with Andre on Twitter at Sharu and tweet us your feedback uh, to Hunter and Craft um, on Twitter, on Facebook, and definitely, if you like our episodes, subscribe to The Bullet. It's our weekly newsletter that goes out every Wednesday morning with any of our new content as well as some of the best stuff that we've been reading throughout the week. And look forward to a recap of the top lessons from our first 25 episodes of Hunter and Craft Radio coming soon. Until next time, take care, guys.